T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Have a great day, and uh, thanks for playing some mooting. That made me feel good. Take care. Sports Talk Radio right here. I'm Steve Rosenwald. He's Mark Grody. We're broadcasting live from the Hyundai Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. And we're broadcasting live from our separate palatial suites here on Chicago Sports Radio 670, The Score. We're going to talk Cubs. We are your home for the Cubs. They will continue their series and continue their search for a run against the dreaded evil Milwaukee Brewers again this evening. We'll talk about that, what happened last night. We'll talk about what might happen tonight when Evan Altman joins us on the Alpamonte Ford hotline, Alpamonte Ford in Melrose Park. Evan, thanks for coming back. Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Saturday Suckage, and the Cubs offense is a place to start with that. Ooh, yeah, it sure is. I've been... Uh... I've been out at the Little League fields all day, and I feel like I've seen better hitting or at least better plate discipline than what I've seen from the Cubs. But before we get into that, I have to say the the bumper music there reminds me of my all-time favorite score segment when when Grody actually tried to rap the lyrics to the song that we just heard the intro for. So I just had to throw that out there. That was one of my favorite moments ever uh, as I was was driving on the highway listening to it. But uh, uh, that that brought back some better memories than maybe you reminded me of, of last night's game. The tape has been destroyed of that particular moment, Evan. But uh, yes, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm kind of glad you remember that. But um, yes, I will. I will just take it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, either way, I mean, it was. Uh, you know, last night was one of those where you know, I mean, there are some positive takeaways. I think you look at John Lester's outing after kind of how he's looked lately, and you think, okay, well, there's something to build upon. You know, that really helps when they're kind of struggling beyond the top two starters. But when they go out and lay an egg like that offensively, and and not only that, but it just it, they didn't feel like they were competitive at the plate at all. There was no point at which you really felt like it seemed as though, okay, if the Brewers score, the game is over. And, and that certainly ended up being the case. But, um, you know, not not the best effort. Certainly not a way you want to start what could be a fairly pivotal series. But, uh, you know, hey, at least I got a couple more shots at it uh, tonight tomorrow. Evan, John Lester better last night. What did you see that was different in John Lester, if anything? Yeah, you know, he he uh, he talked after his last start about how he he felt like he was missing confidence, and he and he really he admitted that he didn't know where it was going to come from. And that John Lester we saw last night was attacking 
the Milwaukee hitters. He, he had seemingly gotten a little passive. Um, you know, we, we know he's lost uh, a bit of his stuff, clearly, or at least a bit of velocity. He's, he's nibbling a little bit at the corners. And, and he wasn't just nibbling last night. He was taking big old bites. I mean, he was going after them, uh, attacking hitters like Christian Yelich. And that's really what you want from Lester is to be a bulldog. Even if he doesn't have the same stuff that he did five years ago, he's still got enough to go out there and make outs. And, and that's what we saw. And he was fired up out on the mound. And that's the guy. He wasn't being passive. And that's what you really want to see from him because uh, that really helps drive everyone else. When John Lester is feeling good, everyone else behind him generally can be. And it gives a lot of confidence to the other guys in rotation. That, that's what I saw was just him being aggressive and, and feeling and looking like the John Lester that we saw the first couple starts of the season. We're talking with Evan Altman. He is the editor-in-chief, co-founder of Cubs Insider, and declares himself Indiana's foremost Cubs authority. Or Central Indiana's, I foremost Cubs. Yeah, we gotta we gotta so. keep things geographically limited. You know, I don't I, I don't wanna I don't wanna mess with anybody in the region, right? I don't need that kind <laughs> of action in my backyard. Right. You're just you got your your turf, you're protecting it. So central Indiana, way to go, way to go, way to go. So the <laughs> it's really remarkable. We we got a text earlier because we were talking about the Cubs offense and how embarrassing it was and you lose one to nothing and you you strike out sixteen times. A lot of strikeouts aren't a surprise for this Cubs team, but no runs, you only get two hits. And we had a texter say, write in, said, you know, it's, I blame Theo and Jed for because they never, they didn't keep Castellanos around. But you look at what the Cubs outfield has done. There's, there's no need for him when Hayward and Hap are, are leading you in OPS plus, and Schwarber is doing kind of Schwarber things. Your outfield isn't the problem. The problem is that Bryant and Baez are either hurt or bad or both. Contreras has not been good until just lately. He's coming out of it. And Rizzo, I mean, this is his worst season of slugging and OPS plus since his rookie year. I blame the the guys who were at the heart of this, the guys who were talking about last dance, the guys who won World Series. I don't know where I don't want to blame the manager, though we'll talk about him later. I don't want to blame the front office. You're here because you're here, and you've been given, granted, like extra lives here. There's certain video gameness about this. You guys have another chance to do this. These guys are the greatest failures on this Cubs team at the moment. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, it, it's not really a question. And, and the outfield, certainly. I mean, when you're talking about two of the top offensive performers on the team, if you had asked somebody before the season to list them, I'm willing to bet that most people would not have had, they certainly wouldn't have had Jason Hayward in their top five. And, and probably not even Ian Happ. You know, maybe he'd be down there toward the bottom. I mean, those guys are doing it. But, you know, as you mentioned, and, and I think it, uh, it certainly would be uh, nothing new for everyone to hear who's doing this. But I think if you look at the team's approach, and I talked about how it was nice to see Lester getting aggressive and kind of uh, shedding that passivity. But if you – now, I have not updated the numbers in the last couple of days, but as of, I think, uh, Thursday – the Cubs only swung at 73.6% of the pitches they saw in the zone. The only team in Major League Baseball worse than that is the Angels, and the Angels are terrible, right? And, I, and that's, that's not uh, – there's no, there's no correlation to be drawn from the, from the manager there. But if you don't swing at strikes, you're not going to get the result. And then, you know, their chase percentage then is not good, right? So they're not swinging at strikes. They are swinging at bad pitches. And we saw from – I mean, Trevor Bauer – had their number. He knew he threw the fewest 
percentage of strikes he's ever thrown in a start in his career, and he dominated the Cubs because he knew they would he could throw that fastball right down the middle and they'd take it, and then he could go slider away, and they would swing. And, and I don't know, again, if that's a function of this funky season that we've got, if that is a, a team-wide approach that's, that's being promoted by Anthony Iaposi or if it's just something that the hitters have sort of fallen into, uh, you know, because they're all in sync for some reason. But it, it's really alarming. They, and we saw last night. Now, a lot of those are borderline. Maybe they're bad. But they took a lot of strike three. And that's just something that, and again, if the ump is calling a bad zone, you can blame them all you want. But at the end of the day, once you get to strikeouts 15 and 16 and so forth, uh, you know, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me 15 times, shame on me. <laughs> I am, and I, I am. Uh, I'm anxious to hear because Steve has previewed it a couple of times. What are your thoughts on on David Ross? Uh, you know, I think this is one of those things where you know we should have kind of known from early on that there would be some some weird uh, some tactical errors, if you will. Uh, I think that's the area where he, he struggled the most. I know emotionally is kind of the area and kind of connecting with these guys from a from a human standpoint, from a former teammate standpoint they'd be good in keeping them active, uh, keeping them engaged. However, it does feel, and this is sort of something, and again, I don't know whether this is front office influence or whether it's just a matter of of coincidence or or how you want to put it, but the personnel moves they've made as a team, to me, reflect kind of similarly in in how Ross has made some some tactical decisions during games. And, And by that, I mean, it feels like they're making some of these impatient sort of knee-jerk reactions. And, and like Ross, so they, they acquire Billy Hamilton, and it, and it felt like, oh, I really oh, I got this new toy. I really got to use him. And so he's using Hamilton to pinch run for Nico Horner, who's the Cubs' fastest. He's actually faster than Hamilton, if you look at the stat cast sprint speed now. And really? Horner had scored from second on an infield hit earlier in the game, and he's the guy you're pinch running for. That's really odd. He would pinch run for Kyle Schwarber with Albert Almora Jr., who's slower or just as fast as Schwarber. Again, <laughs> yes. looking at StatCast numbers, there's moves that the logic doesn't really bear out and dictate. And I don't know, again, if these are things that he's, you know, living in 2016 with Albert Almora tag up and like, oh, that was a cool play. I, I think he could do that again. <laughs> um, you know, I, I'm not really sure. But I do think those are things that kind of uh, show that he is a novice as a manager and and certainly those things should be corrected but it, those are and then, you know the bullpen decisions i think there's a few of those having too long a leash with some guys too short with others and uh and again that you know those are things you live with with a rookie manager you kind of have to but uh given the circumstances of the season those errors or you know those judgment calls do kind of show out a little bit bigger and uh, and they don't really come out in the wash very well because you don't have those extra 102 games to figure it out well, he had that. There was sort of a madness to his use of pinch runners, the ones you brought up, and and you make good points that that really Almora. I don't know if he's even faster than Schwarber, but but uh, Schwarber's a really. I, I I didn't understand that, and the and the Horner Hamilton thing looks like very. There's a very madness thing about oh, I got this new toy. I want to see how it works. Let me go play with it, as opposed to if the for the good of the game. What do, how do we do? How do we win this? And then you saw. The ninth inning yesterday, and here comes Rowan Wick again. Jeffress has to warm up, and Braun's up there. And if you're playing a five-man infield, don't you need to walk Braun? Did what did you think of his strategy or his reasoning for the way he played out the the ninth inning that led to the winning run? Yeah, you know, I, I've 
that was pretty questionable. I think a lot of it, uh, you know, Wick had gotten a pretty efficient, quick inning uh, prior to that. I, I think, you know, ideally it was one of those where, hey, he'll be able to handle this. We don't have to throw Jeffress. We can save him for later in the weekend. Let's get through this inning. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and then it was tough because, you know, Wick gave him a, a really dirty inning right away. Uh, we've seen Jeffress wriggle out of, uh, of some of those before, you know, namely the, the game, I think it was against the Reds, where, where Craig Kimbrell imploded and, and uh, Jeffress was able to come in and kind of save the day. But, that, you know, it was a little bit questionable. Again, that was kind of that, it, where do you go with it? I think initially, you know, it was probably a matter of trying to save a guy, and, and you ended up kind of burning them both right there. Uh, but, you know, I, I almost wonder if some of that was from the game before where Wick had come in in the seventh, and, and that was to face the top of the Reds order. You know, he was able to get those guys out. And then you see uh, Dan Winkler come in for the eighth, and a lot of people got to question that. And Winkler was allowed to stay in and, and almost run himself into a pretty big jam before he got out of it. So, you know, a lot of that just comes down to, again, I, I think Ross is, is managing a little bit too much for what might happen and, and maybe what's going to happen the next inning or the next day rather than kind of being in the moment and getting out of this right now. and we're, But we're seeing it. it's a little inconsistent how those guys are deployed. Again, I think those are just the, the, the tumbles and, the, and the, the pitfalls of kind of learning your bullpen a little bit. Because that's what we've seen. The Cubs bullpen has been really, really solid lately, but he's still getting a feel for it because not too many of those guys have proven themselves consistently trustworthy. And what gets really interesting about David Ross, because even though a lot of what we're talking about is the not good of the Cubs, the Cubs are still firmly in first place in the National League Central, a three-game lead over the Cardinals and four over the Brewers, against whom the Cubs play again tonight, Kyle Hendricks against Brett Anderson. But the interesting part, Evan, is what will David Ross's managing look like in the postseason, where managing is at a premium. That's where managing really matters in terms of when you're going to take your guys out, when you're going to I mean, use them the bull, everything about managing in the postseason is different. How do you think that will look? And don't you think that there probably will be some help if there hasn't been already from Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer. And I think that's okay if there is. Yeah. I mean, I, I think what we're, what we're seeing, you know, and, and some of these flaws are, are kind of showing themselves and, and this is better that they happen now than happen later. And you see kind of some of these things come around. So I, I do believe the things that are going to help with that are, you know, ideally you get Jose Quintana and or Tyler Chatwood back and healthy, uh, if, even if they're not going to start, you know, you get that first series, just a three gamer and you don't need those extra starters. Well, now all of a sudden you can bring in some long men. So whether you get a starter in trouble early, you need somebody to give you a few extra innings, they'll have a couple of those guys. And I think that's going to help rather than having to piecemeal maybe one inning at a time. You know, ideally you have someone like a Jason Adam or a Ryan Tapera continue to show what they can do. Uh, there's still the possibility as, uh, as as unlikely as it may have seemed a few weeks ago that somebody like a Braylon Marquez comes up from South Bend. And, you know, I made this comparison. It's it's perhaps a bit too big of a comp for a lot of people to really buy into, and I understand this, but uh, once upon a time there was a heralded lefty who came up and helped lead his team down the last two months or two weeks of the season and then into the World Series, and that would be David Price. Now, I'm not saying Braylon Marquez is David Price, but there is a precedent for a guy who's been groomed as a starter. He's a lefty. He throws 100 miles an hour. That's maybe a guy who he doesn't know what he doesn't know. Nobody's seen him. Maybe you can bring him up <laughs> as a lefty fireballer. 
that would be really nice. But uh, that was sorry about that. Uh, but uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I, I think I think the personnel will solidify. That will help the decision making as we get to the playoffs. Evan, appreciate your time. Thank you. We we'll look forward to uh, chatting with you more as uh, we find out where where what David Ross can do about this offense, what what the players themselves can do about this offense. Like, show up. Appreciate your time. Thank I'm, you, Evan. No problem. I'm very much looking forward to it. Have a great show, guys. All See right. you, Evan. Evan Allman, Cubs insider. Uh, the Cubs, by the way, will play game two of their series against the Brewers. You can hear it at 6-10 today on the score, and they'll be up at Miller Park. 5-10 this evening is when the pregame show starts right here on the score, Chicago Sports Radio 670. And by the way, speaking of pregame shows, tomorrow the Bears are going to play a football game that means something. Here's this. Before every Bears game, tune in to the Bet Rivers Sportsbook pregame show with Hub Arkish, Patrick Manley, and Olin Krutz. Go to BetRivers.com or download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store now. This Sunday, tomorrow, the pregame show starts at 9 a.m. I'm Steve Rosenblum. He's Mark Grody. And you know what, Mark? Before we run out of time, before they run us out of this here radio show at 2 o'clock, we have to do What Are You Doing, Wagner? And we have some very Hollywood stuff to go along with our sports stuff. We have to do We that. also have a uh, birthday shout-out, Steve, that we can do Ooh. in that segment. I don't know if you've been following along on the text chain. Something tells me you, you're not because I haven't seen you respond. But check no, your text f- messages. There's oh. a birthday that needs to occur or a shout-out that needs to occur, and we can do that. I'm going to wait to be surprised. What are you doing, Wagner? I'm going to wait to be surprised because I'm okay. really – me and technology, I'm afraid to touch my phone for fear that I'll disconnect myself from – from the the um, Lucy app, so I, it stays I right where I it know. is. It doesn't move, and I just I'll wait to be surprised. So we'll come back with uh, what are you doing, Wagner? Here on Saturday Suckage, Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago Sports Station. What? America's new favorite segment. Cannot wait. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. Mark Rohde, Steve Rosenblum, Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score. What are you doing? We're doing. We're doing an anniversary celebration. 30 years ago Wednesday. Mark. 30 years ago Wednesday in Venice was the debut of Goodfellas. Oh wow. 30 years. It came from, it was uh, written by, co-written by Nicholas Pileggi and Martin Scorsese. They wrote the script. Nicholas Pileggi had written the original source material, a book called Wise Guy. Mm -hmm. Henry Hill has, has, that was his story as a young kid turned rat and that's how it goes. But there are as long as I ever knew, I always wanted to be a gangster. Yeah, that's it. Right. Yep. And that's that. And Ray Liotta claims he gets asked every day. But there's some things about this (laughs) that I wanted to bring to light that I did not know. I'd not seen this before. One is this uh, Carl Quintanilla was a 
a cinephile and he was bringing these things up. He's on CS, CNBC. <clears throat> the early casting ideas. Now you've seen Goodfellas, you understand this, this, this cult, this history, this legacy. One of the early casting ideas as Henry was Tom Cruise. I can't imagine that. No, I mean, it's always hard to imagine anybody else in any iconic role, but Tom Cruise, I think, God, I don't know. I think the intensity is a little bit too much. He's a little bit too actor-ish. Yes, he is. He's Tom Cruise. He's not Henry Hill, or wouldn't be. Right. All right, so what do you think of this one? Madonna as Karen. Karen? Karen. Karen. I could... I, I got to make the pasta that. sauce. Pasta um, sauce, Garrett. I Garrett. can see that. Absolutely. No, I could see yeah. Madonna doing that. Yes. Right. Yes, that would All make right. sense. Okay, so one of one of the most iconic parts of that iconic movie and one of the most iconic roles in <clears throat> in the history of film in Robert, I'm Robert De Niro's film is Jimmy. He wasn't the only consideration. John Malkovich as Jimmy. Wait, whoa, whoa, whoa. Is, is De Niro's character? Yes. That doesn't even... I don't believe as, that one. As Come gentleman on. Jimmy Kerr. and De Niro, they're like yeah. peas and carrots. Come on. Right. Now you're just Well, that's what... Up. It's um, John Malkovich. Um, for whatever reason, he told GQ magazine, quote, it's hard to explain why you end up in the movie Aragon instead of Goodfellas. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, yeah. it is. So there was the, one of the most famous scenes, if not the most famous scene, we are going to play for you. And I have, I never knew this about it before, but this is the film. The, I, I don't even need to walk it up. Julio, play the scene. <laughs> you're a big cop. You're a really funny. You're really funny. Uh-huh. What do you mean I'm funny? It's, it's, it's funny, you know. You're, it's a good story. It's funny. You're a funny guy. What do you mean? You mean the way I talk? What? It's just, you know, you, it's, you're just funny. It's funny, you know, the way you tell the story and everything. Funny how? I mean, what's funny about it? Tommy, no, you got it all wrong. Oh, oh Anthony. He's a big boy. He knows what he said. What'd you say? You're right. Funny how? What? Just, you know, you're, you're funny. <laughs> you mean, so? man, let me understand this, because I don't, you know, maybe it's me, I'm a little f***ed up, maybe. But I'm funny how? I mean, funny like I'm a clown, I amuse you. I make you laugh. I'm here to f***ing amuse you. What do you mean funny? Funny how? How am I funny? I'm not just, you know how you tell a story? What? No, no, I don't know. You said it. How do I know? You said I'm funny. How the f*** am I funny? What the f*** is so funny about me? Tell me. Tell me what's funny. Get that out of here, to Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I almost had him. I almost had him. <laughs> yeah, stuttering prick yet. Frankie, was he shaking? <laughs> I wonder about you sometimes, Henry. You may fold under questioning. <laughs> funny how. Between I still kind of hold my breath during <clears throat> that scene. I, I mean, like it's so <clears throat> intense, and you're you're rooting for uh, what's his face? Um, what's his name? Henry Hill. Ray Liotta. Henry. 
Henry Hill. Right. Yeah. You're, you're rooting for Henry because you're like, come on, just, just tell him it's, it's a joke. You're just, you're, you're. Yeah, that's an intent. Whoa, hey, whoa, whoa, Anthony. He's a big boy. That was almost com- <clears throat> completely improvised by Joe Pesci and, and Ray Liotta. Really? Yes. It was just, they just went on. The phone kept rolling. Uh, screen Nick Pelleggi, who wrote Wise Guy and co-wrote the script, said, I've won awards because of that unbelievable scene that I, quote, wrote. I never wrote that scene. I had no idea about that scene. <laughs> this is Nicholas Pelleggi. That's amazing, <laughs> man. And we were talking about De Niro earlier in the, um, when he finds out that, that Tommy... He's gone, and there's nothing you can do about it. Right. <laughs> De Niro once it. said that was one of the hardest scenes for me to. When I heard that Joe's character was killed, I tried my best. The director of photography said they shot that scene only once. That De Niro was so into it, they didn't believe he or they could do it again. Wow. When, That's where he's in the phone, phone booth, booth, right? Yeah. yeah. And then he bangs yeah. the the receiver on the phone right. booth and cries yeah. a little bit. Yeah, you see him cry. And can you, um, can you, you, now it was so, because uh, Scorsese always wanted to be, in, or Henry, the, Henry Hill always wanted to be a, ga- um, <clears throat> a gangster. They were, they cast some real wise guys in it. And that adds, that certainly adds to the authenticity. Pelleggi once said Warner Brothers had to put them on the payroll and wanted their social security numbers. Wow. <laughs> they said one, two, six, uh, six, seven, eight. Pelleggi said nobody ever figured out where that money went. <laughs> I just love that. And yeah, they probably you, extorted while they were there. You know. Yeah, sure. There you go. And of course, the the most famous one of the most famous music accompaniments. I can't hear the song, I can't hear this coda without thinking of dead bodies. Oh my God! Yes, totally. Frozen, garbage, shot in the pink Cadillac. Yeah. It's just what a thing. Yep. And I, I can't. See dead I can't. People. Yeah. There <laughs> you go. Anyways, 30 years ago Wednesday, so that was, well I needed done. to share that on What Are You Doing, Wegner, that was just... Somebody is uh, asking on tw- on Twitter, on the text screen here, what article or link is this? Do you have the, the article from which you read this, or that somebody... Uh, it, was, and... it was a thread from Carl Quintanilla, Q-U-I-N-T-A-N-I-L-L-A, yeah, on the Twitter machine. And there are other links in there with his stuff. He just did an excellent job of running this down, and it's perfect for um, perfect for radio for a segment like this. All right, so you teased a birthday that I'm surprised me with a birthday. Surprise me. I Tell will. Me, what am I, I missing? First of all, first of all, you presented that Goodfellas thing very well. I like the sound. I like the oh. use of music. Your info was outstanding. I was glad I just got back to sit back and listen to you present. All right, the birthday that we must celebrate today the trash panda adam stadzinski who was here for a while and then apparently had had enough of our show he bailed out (laughs) he left julio orseo all alone to run the show but he bailed but adam stadzinski the trash panda tells me that mr trash panda 
it is his birthday today. So I wanted to say happy birthday to Bill Stadzinski. And I know that a lot of the fathers don't get as much attention on this show. It seems to be about the mothers. But it's time. It's time that the fathers get a little... Jeffrey Leving has made sure that the fathers get a little bit of attention here on this show. So happy birthday to Bill William Stadzinski, the shooter, right? Isn't he the shooter? Shooter, yeah. He's the guy who stands in the house, opens a window, and shoots at trash pandas. That's that's <laughs> the, that's a lot of the the where the article where the the segment came from, the name, and we we celebrated the great patience of of Alice, who is um, Mama Studs, and so Show mother shooter. Yep. Happy happy birthday, shooter. That's. I did not know that, but I'm glad that we were able to, we were able to give Shooter the shout out. And we, you know, we we with Trash Panda, even though he's not here, we moved thanks to um, Alice. We moved from trash pan, shooting Trash Pandas to fearing. We had Buffalo alerts last week down there in in I don't know end of the world burg or wherever he, they live. So I don't know what we're up to now. Could we? Could it be bison? I, I don't know what kind of, could it be alien creatures? We, we'll have to check. Maybe maybe if Stud sticks around, a trash panda sticks around long enough next week, we'll get an answer to it. I so. think it's the, from what I've been told, I think it's the woolly mammoth. The woolly mammoth. Yeah, that is there the you go. I'll look, I'll look forward to that. That's like I said, exactly. everything they talk about sounds like you can go see it at the Field Museum. So there's saber-toothed <laughs> tigers. There's You're right. Cavemen. You're right. It's great. That's it. I can't wait to see the uh, the Central Illinois pterodactyl display. So I look forward to that. Shooter will be out there with his gun. I got this thing. He's out. He's my birthday. Bigger, yeah. You're gonna need his a bigger birth- gun than that. Right. I want birthday. Him in there. He's a good shooter. Yeah. Birthday buckshot for Bill. All right. Um, this was Lakers post game, and Mark, you're dealing with this. As, as a reporter, when you're used to having immediate access, you don't get, I mean, intimate access, you don't get intimate answer, access, everything's Zoom, and and this is the way the reporting is done. It's a lot of post-game stuff. Well, this was this was bound to happen. I, I got to believe it's happened before, but this is the first time I saw it, and, and this, is, this happened in the playoffs. Anthony Davis of the Lakers is answering post-game questions. So we'll just play it and you'll figure out what's going on. That uh, Kobe Bryant shirt. I'm curious. I know he's had such a huge influence on you throughout your career. You, sorry, my dog is going crazy right now. Do you think he has <laughs> during games as well? All I heard was rough, rough. Right? Uh, I heard question, bro. <laughs> All I heard was woof, woof. That's awesome. That was, isn't that great? Because that that's so what good. happens. No, that's awesome. There was that the thing that went viral, the um, video that went viral, where a, a guy was on a, a news interview and on, on a computer at home, and the kid walks into the room, and I mean that happens, and all of a sudden the dog's barking. There's nothing you can do about it. That's it. The dog's gonna bark because that's what dogs do. He's it dead, barks. and there's nothing you can do about it. Right. Um, that's it. By the way, a couple of things here, real quick, like um, Stadzinski. 
um, has the gall to text and, and correct us, even though we just did this wonderful, emotional, happy birthday to Mr. Studzinski, Bill. And Studs has to text and say, yeah, his birthday was yesterday, but close enough. What? I mean, we try here. And to get that just kind of hurt a little bit from Studs. And from the... What line. an ungrateful, what an ungrateful trash panda. I know. Yeah. We, you know what? Just keep going. About, thank you, you made his day. Or, Big shooter. That was, pretty, that was pretty cool to hear my dad's name on 50,000 watt radio station getting the celebration that he deserves. But instead, no, his birthday was yesterday, but close enough. You blew it! Yeah, mm-hmm. I guess so. I guess yeah. so. That's it. Yeah. Last, last birthday shout out on this show for his family. Yeah. Right. No more trash panda celebrations here. So the last Saturday night, we were off the air, and then there was a an, an event with the White Sox being much of the discussion, and we were part of it too. Of the you know the batting title and MVP and Rookie of the Year and 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 all of these different all these different awards and accomplishments. And this is where this team is, and it it it, it was. It was certainly worthwhile discussing, and it's certainly been part of the what the White Sox talk deserves to be. So there was a tweet last night from L Train two one nine nine. This is last Saturday night. I don't know who this L Train two one nine is, two one nine nine, but I'm more interested in the response. Has any team ever had a player win the batting title, MVP, and Rookie of the Year in the same season? Anderson, Abreu. And Robber could do it. Okay, that's a, you know, well, baseball trivia being what it is. Anybody done that? Any team done that? Jeremy Frank, who is a must-follow at MLB Random Stats, quote tweeted this: "Ask Ichiro." <laughs> he In two thousand one, Ichiro was won the batting title, MVP. Rookie of the year, but he wasn't done. He was an all-star. He won a silver slugger and a gold glove. And he led the league in stolen bases. Just in case you were wondering. That's amazing. My my gut, my gut when you said that was, okay, we're probably going to go back to one of the great Yankees teams. But, Uh yeah, Ichiro took care of that all in one body. It's all, what a great answer. Has any team done this? And he just says, ask Ichiro. I, I love that. I don't know that. The um, 1965, so 55 years ago, this week, Sandy Koufax threw a perfect game against the Cubs. And the Cubs pitcher, Bob Hendley, threw a one-hitter. And the hit didn't actually matter in the in the scoring of the one run. And this is a game, this has, the, the, Koufax is perfect. It was his fourth no-hitter and his first perfect game. And one of the things that's really significant about this for idiots who listen to baseball and watch baseball and listen to announcers and want to blame them for jinxing it. In 1965, Vince Scully, Hall of Fame announcer, arguably the greatest baseball announcer ever, was time-stamping the perfect game. He was doing it for Sandy Koufax. They would put out a, the gas stick company would put out a record of every ninth inning of Koufax's no-hitters. But what he was doing for Koufax's family would things like... It's 941 in the City of Angels, and Sandy (laughs) Koufax is one out away from a perfect game. And he described 
everything in great detail in real time, whatever time was on the clock in Dodger Stadium. So Vince Scully joined Twitter this week yes. at 90-something years old, and it was a good week to join Twitter. He joined Twitter the week he was calling Sandy's perfect game, and he had a story to share. So here's story time with one of the greatest storytellers ever. About Sandy Koufax's perfect game, September the 9th, 1965. But there's a little story in the game itself that I don't believe has ever been told before. So pull up a chair, it won't take time. With one out in the ninth inning and the crowd going wild, Joe Amalfitano, who later on would become a Dodger coach, came up to the plate and struck out. Crowd went wild, one out to go. As Joe walked back towards the dugout, kneeling in the on-deck circle was teammate Harvey Keen. And Amalfitano said to Keen amidst all the roar, boy, he's really bringing it tonight. And Harvey, who's kind of a pixie guy anyway, said to Joey, I'll be right back. Well, he was right back. He went up, struck out, and that was the final out in the masterpiece of Sandy Koufax, a near masterpiece by Bob Hendley of the Cubs, who allowed only one hit and lost the game. I'll be right back. I love that. I'll be right back. You know what I saw one time in a no-hitter, a Nolan Ryan no-hitter? He threw it against, he was throwing it against the Tigers. Norm Cash, first baseman for the Tigers, came up to bat with a table leg. He did not have a bat. <laughs> he came up with a table leg. And I think when the umpire was Luciano says, get out of here, Norm. And Norm's <laughs> laughing, Luciano's laughing, and Art Kushner was the Angels catcher, the former White Sox bullpen coach, was the Angels catcher, and he's laughing, and then he stops himself and he goes, hey, I'm catching a no-hitter here. Get out of here with that. Come back with a bat. And then... That was it. Now one Ryan threw the no-hitter against the Pirate, uh, the Tigers. That was it. We'll take a break. When we come back, we have more stuff for What Are You Doing, Wagner, before we are kicked out of this radio station at 2 o'clock. So thanks for listening to Saturday Suckage. We'll be back. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Sports Radio 670 The Score is your official home for Monday Night Football, Thursday Night Football, Sunday Night Football, and every NFL playoff game through the Super Bowl, a production of Westwood One Sports. This is Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, Chicago's sports station. He's gone, and we couldn't do nothing about it. It's our first part of uh, What Are You Doing, Wagner? That scene, Goodfellas, debuted 30 years ago this week. One last item before we go, a movie item. Mark, if I tell you, if I say Emma Peel, does that mean anything to you, the name Emma Peel? Is she related to Jordan Peel? No, she's not. She is. She was one of the unsung um, sex symbols of the 60s. The actress's name is Diana Rigg. She passed away. Her best-known character to... um, testosterone-laden little boys like me, or big boys like me, was as Emma Peel in The Avengers. And it was her wearing a leather cat suit more often than not. That's what she... She was that way. She would show up later, 
on your TV in Game of Thrones as uh, the, the Queen of Thorns. She was in there. She was the one who would famously say, tell Cersei, I want her to know it was me. Diana Rigg passed away. In between, I had no idea. In between, she became the only woman to marry James Bond. In the movie, mm. on Her Majesty's Secret Service, with the worst James Bond ever, George Lazenby, although Timothy Dalton could probably make a case. Yeah. Anyways, in that movie, she played Tracy DiVincenzo. However briefly, she married James Bond. She was the only woman to ever marry James Bond in that series. Wow. Emma Peel. How about that? Yeah, I love that woman. I, from the Avengers, Diana Rigg in the Avengers. Speaking of um, Avengers and superhero movies, have you seen the trailer for The Batman? Yeah, I no, I've not seen the whole thing. I've seen ads for the trailer. Tell us. Well, it's just it's so awesome because it uses Nirvana. Something's in the way. And it's just so great with that sort of haunting music playing underneath a very dark trailer. I loved it. I love it. I might watch it right after we get off. All right. Well, we're going to do that now. We're going to thank everybody who listened, texted, our one caller. Bears All Access is next on The Score. It wouldn't have been possible if we weren't here to be told how much we suck. So kudos to you guys for sucking as bad as we do. Oh, yes. Wait Wait a minute, minute, Mr. Post. Wait, wait. Wait. Oh, yeah. That's it. And and, and you're you're, you're right. It's definitely definitely important. important. Hold on. We're interrupting Taylor. Go ahead, Taylor. What do you need? T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary.